Jesus has been put to death. He's risen from the dead. The grave is empty. Fifty days passed. And on Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, Peter stood up with the eleven and he preached the first sermon. Those that heard Peter preach that day were touched in their hearts. They said, what shall we do? And Peter told them to repent, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. It also said that with many other words he testified and exhorted and told them to save themselves from this untoward generation. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Well, it's not long after those events of Pentecost that we read a fascinating story that Dr. Luke records for us in Acts chapter 3. Now, the events that took place in Acts chapter 3 were not on anyone's agenda for that day. No one involved in this drama that plays out in Acts 3 got up that morning and said, well, here's what I think I'm going to do today. None of the principles involved started out that morning with a view to attain what was actually attained by the end of the day. There's a crippled man involved. Well, suppose you'd ask that crippled man that was involved, well, what are are your plans for, for the day today? He'd have said, I plan to do just exactly what I do every day. I'm going to have someone carry me to one of the temple gates, and I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to spend my day begging alms, just like I have always done. He would not have told you something was going to happen that day that was going to make all things new for him from that point forward. Peter and John did not start out that day heading to the temple at the hour of prayer, planning on some exciting event taking place either. The beggar and Peter and John were doing nothing more than going about their ordinary duties, doing the things that they did each and every day. But what they found was an unexpected opportunity. And somehow that's the way life works for us. Some of the greatest opportunities that come our way are things that are unsought and things that are totally unexpected. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells us about a tenant farmer that's going about his business plowing some land that he's sharecropping. And all of a sudden, as he's going about his business like he's done every day and plowing the land, his plow hits some kind of a hard object. And he thought at first, well, maybe that plow has struck a rock down in there. But he he starts digging, and what he finds is a treasure box. And he finds a treasure that's been hidden in a field. So he went and sold everything that he had so he could buy this field that he had been sharecropping. He wasn't looking for buried treasure that morning. He was just going out to plow like he had done every day to try to raise a crop and try to feed his family. He's just going about his ordinary daily activities. These three men in Acts 3, that day at the temple, they had a rich experience. 
And that rich experience was the result of their taking advantage of a totally unexpected opportunity. I think it's fascinating if you read further into the book of Acts. The first great evangelistic movement of the first century church was not something that happened by design. The elders at the Jerusalem church did not get their heads together and have a planning session on how they would go out and preach the gospel to the whole world. The leaders of the Jerusalem church did not plan that great event of worldwide evangelism. That great worldwide evangelism took place because of the death of Stephen, because of the persecution that was taking place. Stephen was put to death. It said Saul was making havoc of the church. And Acts 8 opens up and says, They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. The persecution taking place in Jerusalem made it necessary for those first century Christians to flee for their very lives. And as they fled for their lives, they were scattered abroad. And if you'd stop some of those Christians that were in such a hurry to leave Jerusalem. What are you in such a hurry for? They wouldn't have said, well, we're in a hurry to evangelize the world. We're in a hurry to go and preach the gospel. They wouldn't have told you they were anxious to leave the city so they could preach. They would have told you they were anxious to leave the city so they could save their skin. But what they did as they went was they preached. And it says they went everywhere preaching the Word, and as a result, they turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Now look at what happens here in Acts chapter 3. There's a man in this story that's a beggar. And he's a beggar because he's a cripple. And he's not a cripple because of some industrial accident that took place. And he's not a cripple because he was wounded on the field of battle in the service of his country. He's a cripple because he was born a cripple. And as the story opens, we see that this man is carried every day to the gate of the temple. And that's typical of his entire life. This man has never known what it was to not be carried. This man has never known the privilege of carrying someone else. From birth, he has been condemned to be a getter and never had the privilege of being a giver. He's being carried. Like so many folks in our world today, he's being carried. Now, look at the two apostles, Peter and John. They are followers of Jesus Christ. They had been there to participate in the events of Pentecost. So their passion is not getting. Their passion is giving. As Peter talks to the beggar that day, he sums up what his life has become because he met Jesus. 
Because he says to that beggar, such as I have, give I thee. That's what life ought to mean. For every one of us this morning. That's what life must mean if we're going to find life that is worthy of a Christian. Because to give is to live. And to refuse to give is to die. Let me share with you a story, not of a tale of two cities, as Dickens would say, but a tale of two seas. These cities are, or these seas are over in the east. One of these seas looked up one day and it saw the Jordan River coming. And that sea said, a river is coming to me today. And when the river came to that sea, it opened its arms to receive it. And the sea said, this river is too beautiful and too good for me to keep. So the sea released it and gave the water to the valley. And that sea today is still fresh with life and beauty and we know it is the Sea of Galilee. As the water made its way down the valley, another sea looked up and saw the great Jordan coming. And when it opened its arms as a sea to receive the, the great river, it said, it's mine. It's all mine and I'm not going to let a drop of it go. Not even for the watering of a flower or the moistening of the lips of a baby will I let this water go. What happened? The laws of nature, which are the laws of God, said to that sea, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, and we know that sea today as the dead sea. And what killed that sea was getting without giving. Now, as this drama unfolds in Acts chapter 3, a getter, this beggar at the beautiful gate of the temple, a getter comes face to face with two men whose passion is giving back to others. This beggar, he was a professional. He knew what he was doing. In fact, as I was reading the story, it reminded me of the, of the cardboard sign holders you see at intersections in major cities where they're holding up signs, we'll work for food. And you'll see the same ones at the same intersection day after day after day. And I know someone that one day drove up to one of them. The guy said, hungry, we'll work for food. And this person drove on past him and went to, I believe it was a Whataburger. Bought a hamburger and a drink and took it back and rolled the window down and handed it to the man. And in the rearview mirror as he drove off, watched the man throw it in the garbage. 
Those people are professionals. Well, this man at the beautiful gate of the temple that day, he was a professional. He knew what he was doing. He had given his whole life to begging. He was an expert in that field. And he knew the best possible place to ply his trade was there at the temple. So every day, he had someone carry him to the doors of the temple. The church of that day and time was at a low ebb. But this man knew that it was at the door of the church that he was going to have his best chance. That's always true. Folks that are in need of something material always find their way to the door of the church. Folks that are in need of something material, you don't generally see them going down the phone book and calling all the liquor stores in search of assistance. And as a general rule, they don't go to sporting events or civic clubs. They've found their best opportunity, their best place to go is to go to the church. This professional beggar in that far-off day and time, like those who ply his trade today, he knew his best place to go, and he was an expert in picking his prospects. By looking at people through the years as he sat there begging alms, he'd become a very keen judge of human nature. And as he looked up and he saw Peter and John going into the temple to pray, his pulse quickened just a little bit. Because looking into the kindly faces of those men, he was expecting a little bit bigger donation than he normally got. And so with a great deal of assurance, you can hear him as he whines his appeal for help, as he said, alms, alms. And what he was wanting was money, nothing more. Now notice the response. Simon says, silver and gold have I none. And with that response, what would you expect? You would expect Peter and John to say, silver and gold have I none, and I'm, just, I'm really very sorry, and just walk on into the temple for prayer. But that's not what Peter did. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Can you almost see that beggar's face fall? Because that doesn't sound like very much. It doesn't sound particularly exciting. And to a man that's there begging for money, it certainly wouldn't have been a thrilling word to hear, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. What is he going to do? Give me some discount coupon? But that's the biggest word that Peter could have spoken. Write this down. That's the best anybody can do. That's all that's necessary. And that's the least we can do and be Christian. It's the most we can do in time and eternity. What we can. Mary did what she could, and that's what prompted Jesus to say, Leave her alone. She's done what she could. May that be the words that's said of all of us. 
whether it's time or talents or energy, that we did what we could. Peter said, I don't have any silver. He said, I don't have any gold. But such as I have, give I thee. First of all, Peter and John gave that beggar their attention. They listened to him. The man, these men had recently been dealing with great crowds of people. Just a few days earlier, Peter and John had participated in a worship service where 3,000 people were converted. But just because they had been in a service where 3,000 were converted, they weren't too busy and they weren't too important to listen to this one beggar at the beautiful gate of the temple. They weren't too preoccupied to listen to this one man, even though he was a cripple, just a crippled beggar. You see, that was a lesson they learned from Jesus. Never lose the individual in the crowd. When we get too busy to deal with the individual then we've become too busy to be like Jesus. They gave Him their attention. They also gave Him what was behind their attention. They gave Him their interest. They listened to Him. And they listened to Him because they were interested. That beggar that day felt like those two men cared about him as a person. He believed that Peter and John looked on him. He was a crippled beggar, but they looked on him as a man of real value and worth. He felt himself in the presence of people who cared. With their attention, with their interest, they gained his confidence, they gained his expectation and they said, look on us. It says He gave heed to them expecting to receive something of them. And His expectation was born in part of their attention and their interest. But it was also the result of what this beggar saw in the apostles themselves. Aren't we every day, either consciously or unconsciously, saying to people around us, look on us. That's what parents say to their children. I heard my daddy say on more than one occasion, boy, you look at me when I'm talking to you. That's what we say to souls that we're trying to win for Jesus. Look at us. Listen to it. If what we say is contradicted by what we are, we weaken the faith of those around us. If what we say is contradicted by what we are. We cannot teach others. 
Peter said, look on us. And then he gave that beggar an impossible command. He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That was the very thing, this poor crippled man, this lifelong cripple, that's the very thing he could not do. But look at verse 7. He took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. Not only did Simon say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, he took him by the hand and he helped him to his feet. Doing that, he made it plain that he himself believed in the possibility of the man being able to do what he commanded him. And the faith of Peter and John was so contagious that it affected this crippled man. They gave this man not only physical healing, but they also gave this man spiritual healing. He was changed at once from being a getter into being a giver. He no longer had to be carried. Look at verse 8. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat at alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that that had happened to him. And as the lame man that was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together under them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Because this man was healed, and because of his presence, the whole atmosphere of that service that day in the temple was changed. Instead of being just another meeting, it became an exciting and thrilling adventure where Peter preached Jesus again. It stirred up the whole city and threw the doors wide open for preaching the gospel. What does the story tell us? It tells us the story of opportunities that come when we least expect them and how to use those opportunities. Those opportunities come to all of us every day. And they offer some of our finest chances to be of service. And they also offer some of our greatest tests. You see, there's really no way of knowing what a man or a woman really is until you see how they meet an off-duty duty. How they meet a duty that comes on Monday or Tuesday when they don't have the church clothes on. Jesus says we are to account for every idle word, and that seems stern and it seems hard. But the idle word is the unguarded word. It's the word that we speak out of the abundance of the heart. The unguarded word. That's the revealing Word. It's the Word that indicates what we really are. 
What would we have thought of the priest and the Levite? I'm quite certain we would have found them faithful in performing their duties. But then we see them confronted with an off-duty duty. And we see what they are. They passed by the dying man and took their place with those who robbed him. The Samaritan found that kind of action impossible. We've come to call him good. And the reason we've come to call him good is because no other word is fit to describe him. What about those opportunities? What about those unexpected opportunities that come to us every day? It was said of Jesus that He went about doing good. Can folks say that of us? Is He the Lord and the Master of our lives? What do others see when they look on us? Do they see Jesus Christ living in us? Do they see us exemplifying Christ? our lives. What do they see when they look at us? What do they see when they look at me? What do they see when they look at you? Those are questions that each of us has to answer for ourselves. Do others see Jesus? There's a song we sing sometimes. I think we sang it Wednesday night. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That day at the beautiful gate of the temple, that beggar, he saw in Peter and John the beauty of Jesus. Can the beauty of Jesus be seen in my life? Are there changes that need to be made so the beauty of Jesus can be seen in your life? If so, now is the time to do that because it's His invitation as we stand.